0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast, where you're joined with your hosts Laz Michaelides and Felipe Amarim. Let's jump straight back to it, man. We were talking about live albums two weeks ago. Now we're on studio albums. Has your thought changed? Have you had any more thoughts over the next two uh, over the previous two weeks that have maybe altered what you were going to say coming in from last week's episode? Or what do you think? Uh,
1: hello, everyone. Uh, well, thing is, we we were talking. About live albums, right? So, that, and I was talking about the the, the imperfection of of performances in, in you know in front of an audience and how you react to an audience. So, I think I started uh, analyzing what a studio album is from the point of view of a live performance and what's the difference, right?
0: right. So,
1: when you're performing uh, for an audience, of of course, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be you know you might speed up, slow down play a bit sloppy or whatever, but also you have the energy of the audience and you have the limitations of how many layers of of, of guitars you can play live. If you only have two guitar players, then that's it. It's going to be two guitars. Yeah, And uh, you, you might have recorded four or five guitar tracks in studio, but you can't play all of those live, <laughs> Uh although it works. But in studio, the, the thing with the studio is all those... Uh, um limitations they go away. There's literally nothing you cannot do in a studio <laughs> nowadays, yeah. you know, or even back in the day, people would find creative ways of of um uh you know maybe programming a drum loop or so there's it, it, we think that the technology uh now makes a huge difference it does but Back in the day, people had ways of doing stuff and changing sounds and creating sounds that kind of deliver the same results that we have with modern technology. So basically in studio, the sky's the limit. You just you just do whatever. You can add yeah. as many layers. And also you can try things out. You can have 20 guitar tracks for a song and choose to keep two or three of them. Yeah. Uh, you, you can have you know many many layers of backing vocals and then you decide now nah, i'm just going to go with the lead vocal and one backing mm-hmm. vocal here and there so uh studio allows you to experiment a lot more
0: you, you've and, got uh, you've got a trial and error thing in the studio haven't you because it, yes as long as as long as sort of you you're within your, your allotted time and your budget you can like you said the sky's the limit and we can say well let's put six more guitars here three more vocals actually you know what, those vocals aren't good get rid of them and you can experiment it's trial and error
1: yeah it is the i think the biggest pressure in studio is it's it's time, time yeah. and money so yeah. recording an album is expensive you know regardless of what level the band is at so if you're a new band recording the first album you're using your savings you know if mm. independent artist. so that's like it's really tough uh but even if you are with a big label they have a budget you know yeah and um other thing i think, I think it was it metallica they spent like a million dollars just to get the drum sounds right it's like, <laughs> you know well, i now, hope it wasn't I the same was the St. anger
0: album <laughs>
1: <no>. <laughs> yeah they definitely didn't get it right uh but i think it was uh injustice for all oh, i don't know there's an album oh. they can spend like tons of money to just get the drum sounds like you know trying different microphones in different locations different studios and sound engineers and you know some people do that so yeah but there's there's a budget there's a time limit and sometimes you know the artists might start playing the song in studio record the tracks and think well it's not what i wanted and doesn't quite work but i need to finish the album so i think there's a pressure to record an album that you don't have when you're performing live That's a good point, yeah. You know, know, uh, because if you record a live album, uh, you assume that you might be in the middle of a tour, and fine, you know, you're in the middle of a tour. So you've played, you know, as you said uh, last time, you've played that same song 50 times already, you know, in two months, so you know the song inside out. So maybe there's less pressure and even more fun even knowing that you, you are being recorded. In studio, is like all eyes are on you when you're recording alone, <laughs> that one track of your instrument. So yeah. it's like, come on, mate, get it right. And uh, yeah. yeah. So there I is, think... Yeah. There is some
0: um allowance for some fun in the studio especially i mean i can imagine guitarists who are recording dual lead guitars with melodies and harmonizing it. i imagine that can be quite fun building layers but ultimately you're right there is a pressure and there is a time uh constraint
1: yeah and i i, I like the fact that the, the cho- choices to be made and i like when musicians try to bring some sort of live element to studio uh, and i'll mm-hmm. give you one example the, the famous guitar solo of stereo to heaven uh, if I'm not wrong Jimmy Page did five different takes but not takes off the same phrasing the same solo and oh, all that, that I played better on this one he yeah. improvised five different souls right Brilliant. so that's like I'm playing a live gig yeah so I mean exactly. and then okay this one this one is slightly better I'm gonna use this one instead of the other one but there's an element of like uh, of of uncertainty that i that I like, so how's this solo going to end? I don't know, i will just playing so yeah. I yeah. think the most rock and roll thing you can do in the studio is to treat it as a gig and improvise even in studio. I was reading an interview with uh Roger Glover from The Purple who is an amazing producer, and he didn't want to mention the name of the band to not embarrass them, so uh, but he said he was producing a young band and they um And at a certain point, he said, why don't you just improvise a little bit more? And the guy touched you, oh, I always improvise this way. (laughs) 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 So, you know, he's improvising. I always
0: improvise this way. So you have these
1: old school rock bands that they just know how to improvise, and they do that all the time. So they do that in studio. The fact that, like, a drummer can go in studio, not knowing the drum feels he's going to play, he knows where yeah. they'll be, but not exactly. Or the guitar player knows that he needs to play a solo. He might have written a couple of notes for that solo, or, or, or one or two phrases, and then he's going to improvise for the rest of it. Yeah. So, I I believe um, it's um, I believe it's it's valid to treat the studio as a, some sort of live experience with the you know, allowing yourself as a musician to do something totally out of the blue because you thought, you know, that's what I'm feeling today. and That's do, what I'm going to do. Do you think,
0: <clears throat> as as both of us have been in many uh, studio scenarios and live scenarios, it's quite funny sort of taking a step back and looking at it from an outside perspective now. Does it seem like, the, the the live shows and the tours—that's the part of the musician's job that's fun and that you get to do and you get to enjoy yourself. And is the studio actually? Oh, this is where the work begins because of the because of the perfection that you have to achieve in the studio. And I'm not saying that someone who isn't a quality musician doesn't enjoy the studio, but there is a as we said in the last episode, there is a freedom with liveness where you can yeah. just be yourself be part of the band, put your personality into a performance with the audience, whereas with the studio, your personality has to go into the playing.
1: Well, exactly. Uh, There's that's one thing as well. Um, to say it straight, when you fuck up live, your bandmates might even laugh at it. You fuck up in studio, everyone gives you the evil eyes yeah it's like come on, mate, we're losing time and right mate. yeah get yeah. back
0: twenty four <laughs> bars back again, get going, come on
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's that you know uh i but i i think um great studio albums have the 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 live vibe somehow you know mm. where where you you have that fun and energy which i I think some people can achieve that in studio I think some people can can um just be three. And 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 energetic in a studio recording. I I don't think it's easy, you know, but some people can do that. And I we mentioned uh, bands that actually write songs together, jamming. And I think that those bands that do that when they go there and record sounds a lot better. I want to mention one studio album that I know you're a big fan of, Um, Thirteen by Black Sabbath. Oh, yes. When when they got together again, we should do an episode about the album. Oh we when they got when they got together again there's a, there's a, a couple of interesting things about it one is they didn't have Bill Ward on drums yeah so they recorded what's his name the guy from rage against the machine at, uh, uh Brad Wilkes Brad Wilk yeah, yeah. Brad Wilk so he I, I'm the drummer who never remembers drummers names <laughs> uh, I'm terrible so um so he he was he wasn't a member of the band uh And I bet he never played or jammed with those guys. Okay. I imagine the pressure in that guy's mind. Like I'm going to the studio with one of the most iconic rock bands of all time to record something new. (laughs) It's not like I'm, you know, playing a gig with them. And and I I think they they had to kind of rehearse and jam for a while to feel like they were a band, which I think is the right thing
0: to do. As good as that album is – you we've spoken about this before and you have some issues, don't you, with his playing, just in the sense of you didn't feel it was totally representative of yeah, other drum drum pans.
1: Yeah, again, to be fair to the guy, what a um you know what a what a task. It's really hard, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah. I I think like no one swings in heavy music like Bill Ward. Mm. And uh maybe they could have tried him for the album because uh we they said it would not he wasn't fit for the album and he argued that he maybe wouldn't be fit for a tour, but he played and he recorded himself playing some stuff and and shared on the internet at the time and he was like still playing really well. He could yeah. be doing the album. Uh, or, or, or the, the guy who did the tour, uh Tommy Tommy Clufetos. Clufetos, I thought what a difficult surname. Clufetos. Yeah. So he is he is phenomenal and he swings, my opinion. Yeah. Uh, why wasn't he in the album? Maybe because they wanted a big name, uh, you know. But it's it's what it is. But I think it's it's see, we you change one musician uh, in studio, it's it's yeah, you change the whole the the overall sound of the band. Another good thing, well, another interesting thing about that album is the producer Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. isn't it? He, he produced the album, and I want to mention something about him, uh, which in my opinion is the right approach so it's an opinion but it's what I believe is the right approach to an album Uh, do you know do you know that he doesn't play instruments and he's not he doesn't know anything about the technical side of recording I know yeah operating the mixing desk (laughs) so that is an old school producer for people who don't understand it okay I I think that's the uh, 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 that's what I like about studio it's what is the What is a role in studio? If you're a musician, is to play well and be creative. And then you have sound engineer who is who is there to capture what you're doing as close as possible to what you want it to be. And then you have the producer. Nowadays, the producer and the um, sound engineer, they're usually the same person. Mm. And in pop music, you can actually do an album with a producer and a singer because the producer is going to lay down the beats and yeah. you know do everything on a computer, that kind of you know artists that don't use bands and just do everything on a computer. You can literally just have one guy, uh, you know, in front of his computer doing everything. So, which I find quite boring. Oh, yeah. uh, but when you to- when you talk about a old school producer, that's a guy who understands about music and do not necessarily need to be a sound engineer. Yeah. So you can leave that job to a specialist and just be a guy who understands about music. Rick Rubin is phenomenal because he doesn't play, he doesn't operate the mixing desk, he doesn't do any technical stuff. He just makes the band play to the best of their abilities, he gets. He knows he gets how out to push them. them to the limit. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's funny. He ha- He was on the Joe Rogan show a couple of months yeah. back, and he was explaining oh, nice. all of his history and how he got into music and how he did this and what he does and how he lets a band express themselves in the studio. And it is just phenomenal because, you know he tries to set a vibe in a studio. He tries to get um, an atmosphere going where bands are going to want to thrive and want to work. And I think Rick Rubin, out of all of them, is probably one of the best known producers in rock music um, and metal for, for sure as well. That That's something that up until a few minutes ago I hadn't considered that I'll ask you about. How vital to recording and let's say an excellent studio album are we forgetting the producer can they play as big a part or are they as important as the band
1: definitely yeah yeah is it, it is, think about, they can be the difference um, can they can't they yeah yeah they can especially a guy like uh, Rick Rubin yeah well exactly what uh um, i've heard that he's um i don't i I watched some of his interviews but not 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 this particular one but i've heard that he 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 used to go to live gigs I thought, oh, the, band, the bands are amazing, like small clubs in his town. And then he would listen to an album from, you know, buy the album of the gig and listen to it. I was like, this is crap. <laughs> those guys are so much better on stage. Like, it's overproduced, it's not reflecting what they are. Yeah. So he would start working with those bands and try to make them sound a little bit more like they sound, uh, you know, on stage. So producers can really, really change the direction of an album. In some cases, the producer is a band member, like Roger Waters with Pink Floyd, like Jimmy Page with uh, Led Zeppelin. Although I would argue that John Paul Jones had a say in pretty much everything, yeah, as a producer, but he didn't get the credit. Uh, so you do have, you know, bands that uh, uh, can produce themselves. But I think whoever is in charge, either if he's a band member or a guy. Uh, um, hired by the label or, or or even chosen by the band. Whoever's in charge of production has a big role in any album and they can change the direction of the album because they can't well um, Metallica when they did Enter Sandman it was supposed to be a lot faster and it was yeah. the producer's decision to slow down the riff because right. they said you, you guys want to be famous so let's <laughs> do something more accessible let's slow down the riff so and it was not that, wasn't that really side, fast, yeah,
0: like, yeah. And that kicked you know, off the Metallica accessible, bringing metal to an accessible audience. Um, yeah, that's, that's incredibly. So you, get, you have someone
1: who's not playing with you, but is telling you what to do. Some musicians don't like that. Yeah. That, if you listen to but, that opinion, it might change the song for the better.
0: The, the next thing to talk about with the studio is obviously the technological innovations, because if you listen to something like, you know, Revolver, by the Beatles or Pet Sounds by Beach Boys, those early albums in the 60s utilized um, production techniques and technological innovations to such an extent. And we're still kind of every, you know, every decade, some band was finding a new way to make this sound like that. And then 10 years later, they managed to do this and that. And, you know, technology is a huge part of the studio environment, isn't it? Because you can literally make sounds
1: that you can't do in your live. Exactly. And, um... Some people argue against technology. You know, there's too much technology involved. So, well, the problem is how you use it, not the fact there is technology involved. Because you got to consider that the Beatles, for instance, and um, all those guys you mentioned, they were using the best technology available at the time yeah so and some and now they say so, oh no we shouldn't use technology because we want to you know sound like the old school guys well they were using the best technology they they had yeah so you you yeah, should, maybe right. should use the the best technology available for you um but it's it's what do you do when you use technology in a creative way it becomes part of the artistic, of the process yeah yeah and it's yeah. part of art it's 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 artistic in a way uh if you use technology that's where that's where I draw the line if you uh, Overuse technology to fix mistakes. Maybe you should just consider to be a better musician. Because <laughs> 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 yeah. there's lo- there's loads of bands out there, um, you know that you cannot- nowadays, who are not familiar with with a studio, you can literally record one bar of a song and just copy and paste.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, and like,
0: You can move each note. You can drag it into yeah. place if it's a bit out
1: yeah and like
0: yeah it it's- I,
1: I understand doing that you know you, re- you have a perfect take of, of a song and then there's oh there's one mistake here let's fix it but some people are literally just uh using the machines more more than than technique than yeah. musical technique and just fixing everything or looping everything or copy and yeah. pasting which you know for me that's not very rock and roll yeah
0: excellent right let's let's bring this to a close then let's hear your final opinion felipe what what do you prefer you a live man or a studio man
1: oh man it's difficult isn't it Uh, (laughs) some of my favorite albums are live albums i love the experience of a live gig i play live gigs for a living that is my thing i love live music i'm a big fan Of course, uh, not every one of your favorite songs is going to be available in a live version. So I I don't listen to live albums all all day. I listen (laughs) mainly to studio albums. And I like the level of of experimentation and creativity you can have in studio. But I'm a big fan of a live performance and some of my best albums are live albums.
0: Fantastic. That's cool. I think for me, it goes, I'm kind of, um, I love what, technology can bring to a to an album and so for that I think I'd have to choose studio albums because there's a particular album for me which had one of the biggest impacts on my understanding of production and it was an album by a heavy metal band called machine head and the album is called the blackening and what is so fascinating about this album compared to other metal albums is that what you are hearing is the band you'll hear that the band has two guitarists, a bass player, a drummer, and one of the guitarists sings. At any one time, you are only ever hearing two guitars. If one of the guitars is doing a chord and the other guy is doing a melody, you, they, they haven't added a third one for, for texture. Oh, that's, that's, if they're uh, that's both doing melodies, one guy's doing a melody and the other guy's harmonizing it, you're not hearing a rhythm guitar behind it. You're hearing the bass and the drums. And for me that album epitomizes where you can marry a live sound and a produced studio album, because they've got the technology to make each instrument sound phenomenal. They've got the technology to put a kick into place if it's a bit out, they've got the technology to make his voice sound powerful and reverb but at the same time, you are as good as hearing a live band. So I love that we can, that despite this discussion we've had on the last episode and this one, I'm actually, I'm playing the easy card, um, not committing to an answer and saying that actually I love it when you do both of them together. But as you said, there are fantastic live albums, you know, The Band, The Last Waltz. I mean, I'm surprised that Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy didn't get onto that list because that's oh, a phenomenal yeah. live album. Um, So many, I mean, Metallica, they've had a few great ones. The S&M, the ones with the orchestras, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, that's Again, a different that's, dynamic.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It, it f- does change the whole sound of the band, doesn't it?
0: Yeah fantastic yeah. stuff anyway thank you guys for joining us for the second of this two-part discussion topic episode um you know we do them every now and then i say we do them when we get a bit when we do some when we sort of got a few albums and bands felipe says we do them when we're hungover and have nothing to talk about you uh you make up your decision on that but uh, rest assured we will be back in two weeks with a new album episode for you um you'll have to tune in to find out what that is so thank you again for joining us
1: Yeah, thanks everyone for being with us again. Keep on rocking, everyone.
0: And as usual, take care and long live rock and roll.